Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Eddie Moore Automotive Group Potline from The Athletic, the columnist. His name is Bob Kravitz. Hello, Bob. Hello, John. How are you? Bob! I'm watching C.J. Stroud, and now it's the pro day, and I should go ahead and put this away right now, but if there was going to be a move that were to be made, for me, it would have been the Colts going up to number one and having the opportunity to draft him. Yes. That would have been it. Agreed. Yeah, as it stands, they're going to get the third, you know, the third best guy, and maybe the fourth if uh, if the Cardinals trade out of three uh, to a, a quarterback needy team. You're going to get your fourth choice now, unless they think all four of these guys are pretty much on, you know, on par. Um, I guess it's not a big deal. Uh, it seems to me that Stroud and Young are are the two the two guys you want, and. Uh, you know, there's a guy named Lamar Jackson who's available, so I, I think I'd probably kick the tires on him. All right, so I will tell you this. I kind of view Lamar Jackson as a DeLorean, something that I would look great in, and it would look great for you, but I would question just how much highway time you're going to get out of it. Well, you know, he's missed, what, about 10 games in the last uh, two years. Um, you know, that's always going to be durability. is always going to be an issue with a quarterback who uh, runs the way he does as frequently as he does. Um, but I'll tell you what, this is a guy who's a former MVP. Uh, I'd love to see him in concert with Shane Steichen and this new staff. And frankly, you know, you pretty much know what you're going to get with him. You have no idea what you're going to get with Will Levis. Now, you know, does Jim Irsay want to spend that kind of money and put it in escrow? I don't know. Uh, I haven't looked, uh, you know, looked at his bank statements recently. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, every time he buys a new guitar, I think it goes down a little bit. So yeah, probably a little bit. I, I look if you can afford an NFL team, um, you know, and, and you're you're making money hand over fist. I think you could afford a Lamar Jackson. It just depends on what what he wants in terms of guarantees. And listen, you know you. The owners, <clears throat> owners can scream and yell all they want, but the fact is the Deshaun Watson contract changed everything, and now we're playing by a new set of rules. So Bob Kravitz with us. I, I have said this, stay where you are and go with it, and I think we've talked about this before because I think that's what they were going to do and that's have been their intention the entire time. But I will ask you this, considering what people around here have been told, People around here have been promised. You think the Colts owe it to the people around here to go after the best choice, what people think would be the best choice, the guy that's ready, the guy that's ready to win right now with a new head coach and Shane Steichen. Do they owe it to the fan base to make a legit run at Lamar Jackson at this point? I do. I, I think they do. You know, I mean, you know, maybe it backfires. Maybe it backfires. But what's the worst that can happen is they match, you know, and, um, you know, look, it's not my money. So it's, you know, I'm speaking 
from that point of view. But no, uh, I, you know, I've been hearing about all chips in now for quite some time, and Lamar Jackson would be one big hell, one big chip. It's weird with Chris Ballard too. I've said this. I think he's going to have at least three years here. I think he gets a redo of at least three years unless there is a catastrophe. And that would be like a a Zach Wilson. You know, that's who you draft at four, Zach Wilson. Would it be a catastrophe and a fireball offense? For example, hypothetically, if they went at Lamar Jackson, he came in and missed a game or two. They look to be better on the field, but he missed a game or two like a lot of us said that he would. Would that be a fireable offense for no. Bell? No. There's a reason you got Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew, if Gardner Minshew started next year for the Colts, if they went out and drafted somebody who's not ready, I, I still like my chances. I mean, I've been yelling for Minshew for two, three years. He's, he's been available, and all he does is light up the Colts, so I don't see why he can't do it for them. Um, no, I mean, look, if, if Lamar Jackson gets hurt, uh, in, injuries, you know, Levis was hurt a lot last year. Uh, you know, all these guys go through their stuff. So, you know, I, to me, it's worth the risk. And, you know, people would say, oh, two first round draft picks. Hell man, you gave up a first and a third for Carson Wentz. Are you telling me that if you have a chance to be competitive or even win a division, uh, with this new quarterback, with with Lamar Jackson, you're not going to take that opportunity. You're not. You're not going to pursue him. At the very least, give it a shot. Do you think that there's any any thought about that right now, or is it just us talking about it? I think it's just us talking about it. I mean, I you know, knowing a little bit about Ballard's history, I think we can all agree <laughs> that he tends to take the more conservative uh, approach to things. Uh, I think they'll probably draft where they're supposed to draft and take the third or fourth best quarterback and pray. But I don't know if there's as much prayer involved with, with Lamar Jackson. And, I mean, you know you know what you're going to get with him. And I'd love to see him in an offense, in, in a Shane Steichen offense, because, you know, basically Lamar Jackson is Jalen Hurts on steroids. It's a Bob Kravitz of the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And I've seen this a couple of different times because we just talk about C.J. Stroud because I think basically all of Charlotte, North Carolina, was watching him throw to his receivers with no pressure earlier today over in Columbus. But there are a couple of different reports out there, and and maybe it's just misdirection. I don't know why you would have to if you had the number one overall selection that, that Frank Reich and company, they like Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. You buy any truth to that? No, I, I don't think. I don't think Frank Reich wants to take any more chances. Yeah, I think he he took a risk with uh, Carson. He took a risk with uh, with with Matt Ryan. I think he wants as close to a sure thing as he can get, and that's why uh, he, he. I believe it's a misdirection, and they're going to end up taking either Young or Stroud. Gardner Minshew, do you think that? If he were to to quarterback the Colts this year, let's just say, I don't know, one or two hypotheticals here. They draft somebody that's not ready, which I I think that that's terrible if you do that. But anyway, if you do that or if you trade back and, you know, go in the second round and Hendon Hooker early in the second round and, you know, go defense and whatever we kind of joke about Ballard doing, you do that. You think Gardner Minshew could sustain winning with this group in 2023? No. No, I, th- I think Bill. 
I think they'll be competitive. <clears throat> I think he'll be a, a significant upgrade on Matt Ryan, but you, me, and my pet dog would be an up, upgrade on, on Matt Ryan, the way he played last year. So, no, I don't think that they'll, they'll, they'll compete uh, for, for an AFC South title. I just think he gives, he's a good bridge quarterback to the next guy. Um, you know, but I, I don't think anybody's looking at next year in terms of wins and losses. They got to get a quarterback in here unless, unless they get Lamar, then you're thinking wins and losses, but you draft the kid, you know, you, it's going to be a while. So Bob Kravitz with us. I think everybody is mostly resigned to that fact, and that's why I've just said, hey, you're here, do it. And we've had this conversation before. I mean, hell, I go back to the middle of the fall when all we could do is really, you know, joke and roast the Colts because it was such a circus. You know, I'd, I'd heard that, you know, they, they liked Levis back then. So I just assume that not only do they still like him, but they know he's going to have that availability where they're picking and they're not putting too much emphasis on thinking about anything else. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, look, Levis had a, a lousy year last year, but he was, he was hurt pretty significantly and played through it. And he uh, had, there were massive coaching changes. I think he had a brand new offensive coordinator who ended up getting fired in the middle, during the season and uh, he didn't have very much in the way of support from his teammates. So, look, I, I'm not sitting here uh, watching tapes of these guys. Smarter people than me are going to make that decision. But I, w- I certainly wouldn't rule out Levis just because he had kind of a crappy year in senior year. All right, Bob, let's move on to the collegiate action, all of which is done here locally. Um, obviously, Notre Dame women. Yeah, yeah Notre I guess. Women. Yeah, I say locally. I, I, South Bend to me is still in Michigan, so I don't even look yeah, at it as in the state of India. Me too. So, I, I, I would agree. But, yeah, I just wrote a column for uh, tomorrow about 70, 72 hours of hell. I mean – you know, in three days, we saw two number one local number one seeds go down, and and IU uh, as a fifth seed. So is uh, I mean, I thought for sure I'd be in New York tonight celebrating my birthday at my favorite watering holes in in New York City, but no, Purdue had to go and freaking lose to a commuter school. That's great. Uh, listen, this, thought, yeah, well, this, this, this may be an unfair. An unfair comparison here, but I just consider this because I use a one seed via nine, the women on Monday and lost at home in Assembly Hall in Bloomington. Um, and we know Purdue has one of the worst losses in the history of the NCAA tournament, maybe the worst, but the certainly worst. one of the, the, the worst. We put it up there. But is there a comparison to be made? to the level of disappointment because IU was a one seed um, and at home compared to Purdue as a one, you know, in a neutral environment of Columbus, Ohio. Was there any, this may be worse even than Purdue type of comparison to be made here? Well, the only thing that's different is you talk about a nine seed instead of a 16 seed. Right. That didn't even win its own conference, a conference, the NEC, which happens to be the worst conference in the nation. Uh, according to Ken Palm uh, rankings. So, I don't know. I think they're pretty close. But I think, you know, I think the IU loss, uh, the women's loss, is probably more disappointing because I, I think with Purdue, you got the sense that at some point their lack of three-point shooting uh, and their inability to handle the press 
was going to catch up to them. Didn't think it would be the first game against FDU, but <laughs> you kind of had a feeling at some point it, it was all going to come home to roost. With IU women and another one seed already out of the way, I think it was Stanford, you really thought this was the year, you know, that, that IU would uh, end up in the Final Four down in Dallas. And so I think the, the hopes were a little higher for the women. It's hard to say which is a worse loss, but yeah. certainly I think it was more likely that the women were going to do something and get to the Final Four than I thought Purdue might. We um, I know that Purdue won the regular season. They won the Big Ten tournament. Obviously, IU won the regular season, lost in the Big Ten women's tournament. Are we, it seems like it's a step forward and two back in terms of winning around here. Uh, is there is there a yeah. problem? Do we need an exorcism or something around here with winning? Because we don't do it too often. No, not lately. I mean, there is so much hope going into this uh, into this three day stretch. I mean, again, I I thought I was going to New York, then I thought I was going to Kansas City. You know, with IU winning, that I thought ah, maybe I'll go to Dallas for the fine women's Final Four. Uh, instead, I'm going to sit on my couch and watch it and enjoy it but yeah there was so much expectation locally and it just it just feels uh, like a light's been put out i can't imagine being a boilermaker fan i can't oh my gosh it, it and the thing is for, you know like i there's a a person i talk to a, a lot uh who's a gigantic purdue fan and uh, she just wrote a blog about how painful it was and i just reading the words like i could sense it you know I mean, I, I gave up my fan card a long time ago, but for years and years, Purdue has been fighting the little brother thing, um, even though they won more Big Ten titles than anybody in the conference. And to get beat by, what, a 14, 15, and 16 seed or 13, 15, and 16 in the last three years, that that's atrocious. And I, I thought Jay Billis put it very eloquently the other day when he said Purdue sucked. They were terrible. And, and I, you know, I love Matt Painter. I think he's the greatest guy. I think he's a hell of a coach. But for the life of me, John, you know more about basketball than I do. But I'm watching that game, and I'm thinking, I know you never go zone. But, damn, don't you have to try something? Yeah. I, I viewed it this way. And I, I viewed it. You scored 58 points and lost. I, I didn't care defensively if they would have just kind of laid down in the lane. But my God, can you score? I mean, when they have three people resigned to guarding Edie and you got wide open look, can anybody here that we're talking about high level dudes, high level guys yeah. in high school, you know, most of which have had pretty good moments, some with consistent moments for this Purdue team, and you shoot from three point range. Night or check that, yeah, nineteen percent. You turn it over sixteen times. I, I don't even think it had much to do with defense. Their, their offense was just beyond atrocious, and I know that we saw that coming, but we we didn't Bob see that coming. I don't think then. Well, what, what were they against Penn State? Like two of eighteen yes. in the uh, Big Ten championship. Yes. So we we kind of did see it coming. I mean, Fletcher uh, uh, lawyer just. He just lost it at the end of the season. I don't know if he hit kind of the freshman wall to the degree that actually exists, uh, but he lost his confidence. I mean, at the you know he made a couple of buckets, but him, Smith, Gillis, they didn't even want the they did not want the shot. At they the didn't. End, they were running from which it. Is yeah. a, which is not a problem that JMV has ever had. On uh, I know. Well, I'm I'm such a mess right now. I just stand out there and cuss. I, I'm like Buddy Heald. I'm glad they don't 
find me 25 grand for a double bird because I'm giving that often. <laughs> I don't know if it's a single bird, but, you know, maybe it's the last for a single bird. No, I didn't didn't think it was about the zone. I just thought the offense and, you know, obviously the ball handling was so atrocious. Yeah. I I just – I don't know. Even if you had experience in shooting a three bad a game prior against Penn State, you still won and you still got yours. That that was just such a low level of being atrocious. You know, I mean, maybe you thought they were going to get bounced early, but sure as hell not like that. So no, this this is a team uh, they're playing whose uh, average their average height was six foot three, and yet in the first half, I don't know the final stat, but in the first half, FDU had more points in the paint than Purdue. Yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> I mean that, that that's unbelievable to me. Well, that's the other thing too, and you, you that's if you're going to justify the zone that you brought up you justify that by how many times their guys especially that little guy they had and i, I sound like john calipari right. my bad Robert, but Robert, yeah Robert, that that Robert. guy consistently was getting into the oh. lane and these guys couldn't stay and in front that, of anybody that's why I'm, a, I'm not saying the zone would have changed everything right. but they were get they were getting so many easy buckets because they were they're getting needy uh putting needy into pick and rolls uh, they were just flat out blasting by uh, Braden and uh, Fletcher getting into the lane and, and, and everything breaks down. And these guys are getting easy buckets. I mean, you know, would that have made a difference? I don't know. I don't know. It, it was just one of those. I got to the press conference. I was like in shock. Yeah. I was still in I was just in shock. I was like, I hadn't prepared for this possibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It, it was, <laughs> I don't know if I've seen a group as as frustrated um, and as down as as that, and you know, rightly so. Hey, Bob, you're a wonderful human being, man. I appreciate you dropping in. We'll do it again soon. Maybe we'll talk about winning sometime soon. Maybe we got no. We don't have the Pacers. We got the no. We don't have the Colts. I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> All right, Jules in the playoffs. Yeah, there you go. That'd be it, I guess, right there. So, all right, my brother, I appreciate you. See ya. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, high school writer extraordinaire here locally for the Indianapolis Star, Kyle Neddenrip, the pride of Brownsburg, Indiana, joins us. Hello, Kyle. Hey, JMV. How are you? Fantastic. I'm curious. Going, I'll tell you what. Before I start here, though, because you started this crap yesterday, I'm just kind of curious where this has gone. You cited an article going back to the 50s <laughs> that talked about a shot clock in high school. And I don't, did you do that to stir it? Did you do that because you just thought it was interesting? Do you believe that there should be at some point implemented in high school basketball a shot clock? Uh, you know, first, no, I didn't try to stir anything because my, my mentions are already a, uh, already a landmine sometimes of, of other things, but, uh, I just thought it was interesting, you know, cause you go back and, and you think that this is sort of a new, um, uh, you know, sort of a new thing that goes back and forth with people wanting it or not. And I, I just thought it was like, man, that's interesting. They were talking about it in 1956. I was actually looking up something else entirely and happened to come across that story of, of Jay McCreary. And there's other, other uh, rules being implemented 
uh, at the time that were, you know, lane chain, you know, lane uh, widening and things like that. And I was, that, you know, I just thought it was interesting that that discussion, because it's sort of a Twitter thing anyway. And, yeah. and that was sort of the Twitter at the time was the, uh, you know, the, uh, the newspaper, you know, or the letters to the editor or even, you know, even articles like that. So I just thought it was interesting. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm sort of, uh, it's not a great radio, but, you know, because I'm not for or against necessarily, but I, I, I think it's just a debate that I think it eventually will happen, but, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily for it. I don't think, I mean, I don't mind it, uh, for, for, uh, fourth quarter situations mostly, but, I don't cover a lot of games where it's really necessary. Uh, I was going to ask you that. How many games do you watch on average a year where there's some ball holding going? And believe me, I come I come from a place where ball holding was an art, whether it was Jack Butcher or Ron McBride. Jack Butcher, I think, had 75 passes before you can take a shot. And, hell, Ron McBride at Bloomfield would hold the ball the entire game after the opening tip. Yeah, I mean, there are occasionally times, you know, in, in tournament games especially where you'll see that. Uh, not even especially, but occasionally you'll see it. Um, you know, and it's probably, I would say, maybe more of a small school or a Southern Indiana. Uh, you see it more, at least games that I've covered. But even then, I, I don't think it's it's all that common. But you do see, like, uh, you know, there are schools around here that will run their offense more. They'll just run their offense through until they find a good shot, and or they re- may reverse the ball three or four or five times. And that's hard to do, you know, against good defenses. So, uh, that's what you see more, and I just I like it for you know a situation where a team is like up by ten to start the first quarter, and uh, you know you can just sort of you know sit on the ball a little bit or just run your offense forever uh, without uh, you know and defense can play great, but if they don't get a turnover, they're just playing great defense for for a long time. So you know that's more of a situation where I'd like to see it. I just I don't it doesn't come up a lot in my mind where it's like man we really needed a shot clock that game. I just I don't. You know, being there as many games as I'm at, I just don't see it that often. But, uh, but I do understand. I don't mind games with the shot clock that I've seen. You know, the, the high level AAU they play with the shot clock, and I like I like watching those games. And I think that's a, you know, it's it's. I think it would not be a terrible thing. You know, if high schools did it and maybe make it a 40 second clock to start with or whatever it is. But, uh, but again, I I understand all the you know the costs things that go with it and the you know add another element to the scores table do we really need that i don't i don't know um you know so i'm, I'm sort of i'm one of those few that's probably more down the middle than most it's uh, Kyle Nedrip of the star and the andy moore automotive group potline it's interesting to note that most schools have that clock sitting on top of its backboard and it's just sitting up there waiting on for example at brownsburg if mike wells ever goes and shoots around in the high school gym of brownsburg he'll hit it about 19 different times so that's the only thing yeah. that really happens to it is with errant shots or attempts it gets hit by him well my yeah the shot clock would would expire you know because mike wouldn't hit the rim that, that's the that's the thing but no it's it, it is and i would say a good you know, maybe a good compromise would be to, to go to 4A and just because, yeah, like you said, a lot of those schools have it already implemented. Maybe you run a trial run of, of class 4A for one year and, and see what it looks like, you know, and does it, does it, I would imagine it wouldn't change the game for those 4A teams that much, you know, because a lot of that's what I cover and, and a lot of those teams are already set up with the shot clock, but, you know, maybe that's an idea that, uh, you know, I have lots of ideas. I don't know how how often they're or how uh, you know they'll they're implemented or how easy they are. But you know, that's I know that's a couple states have done that. Is at least try it with their their larger classes and see how it works. 
hey, Kyler, Mark James and Bill Zick, are they both just done with coaching, or are there other coaching gigs somewhere on the horizon? No, I think, uh, you know, from talking to Mark the other night, I, I think uh, actually a couple times, it sounds like he wants to uh, at least look at, at coaching somewhere, and, and I don't know. Uh, you know, where or if he, you know, if he, he hadn't even started looking at that point. So I don't know where that would be exactly, but I'm sure there are schools out there that would, uh, that would hire Mark and in, in, in a heartbeat. And uh, even at, you know, it, it, as long as he's been doing it, uh, I think he still has a fire for doing it. And I think he would be great, you know, if, uh, if he has that opportunity. And I think he probably will uh, if, if, uh, if I'm reading it right. And, you know, he's basically said that, you know, so I, I think he'll, he'll coach again, Bill. I don't know. Uh, it didn't sound to me like he was, uh, I mean, he did call it a resignation, uh, but he is retiring from teaching and, and uh, you know, I know there's things he wants to do in his life and uh, you know, always enjoyed covering him and Mark. I mean, they were both, you know, from a personal perspective, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, easy to work with. I always enjoy talking with them. You know, they're, they're different personalities from right. each other, but, uh, you know, both really, uh, you know, enjoyed talking to both of them a lot, you know, and, uh, both had good, you know, good advice or things that, you know, I took from them in my own life that, uh, you know, that, you know, just from covering a long time, you kind of develop relationships with people and, both those guys, uh, obviously great coaches, but uh, I think good leaders as well. Yeah, I need to apologize to Bill because I used to, I used to say mean things and poke fun in the past when he would not let us in the Perry Meridian gym. So, <laughs> Dave McCullough used to say, "Why are you making fun of him so much?" <laughs> And I said, I think they were college roommates or something. And I said, well, it's because I'm a jackass. So I was a jackass. And and credit where credit is due, certainly. And I should have probably just shut up back in the day. That's one of the things I'm not very proud of, to be quite honest. Among the uh, handful of things I'm not proud of, that is right there. Hey, we all live and learn, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying, brother. I really am trying. Hey, give me some players that we're not going to see coming up on Saturday at Cambridge Fieldhouse, but some of these players that had fantastic seasons that are maybe flying under the radar around here, either seniors or underclassmen? Well, I mean, the guy for who's not in the area, I think a lot of people who were looking forward to see was uh, Marcus Burton from Penn. And, and you know, gosh, you wish, uh, you know, Kokomo is going to be great. I mean, that place is going to be, you know, Cambridge is going to be absolutely on fire uh, Saturday night with Kokomo. Uh, playing in that game against undefeated Ben Davis. But uh, I think Marcus Burton, you know, he's not an area player necessarily, but, you know, he is a guy that uh, I think people would have loved to see down here. And he did, they did play in the Hall of Fame and they played uh, against Zionsville down in Southport this year. But, uh, man, he was incredible. I think probably, you know, has done a lot to, to uh, put himself in that Mr. Basketball, uh, you know, front runner spot, most likely, I think, uh, with what he's done this season. But, you know, they got beat by one point by Kokomo, and they, they won't be making it down here. But great season uh, for him, and, and uh, you know, hopefully people got to see him play in person. He's really, really good. It sounds like he's going to stick with Notre Dame, uh, you know, assuming they're going to, you know, get a coach hired here pretty soon. But Looks like it's going to be Mike Shrewsbury, too. I yeah, mean, that's probably a good reason for him to stay. Yeah, I think you're right. So, uh, but, yeah, I, I think he's uh, – man, he was something else this year. But, yeah, I just – there's a – you know, the uh, futures game, uh, you saw probably those rosters came out yesterday, and I think we'll get a chance to see a lot of those guys in sort of. I think it's a neat deal they're doing with the All Stars this year and having that futures game where you play a, you know, a game on Saturday, a girls and a boys game uh, prior to the Kentucky game. So you, you get a chance to see a lot of these guys, like you know Jalen Harrelson from Fishers, 
uh, is in that game. Cannon Catchings from Brownsburg's in that game. Uh, you know, several uh, other. I don't have it right in front of me here, but you know, just a really lot of good, uh, really good players uh, on the on those two rosters this year. That uh, I think people will have a, a Flory Flory Badunga's one, of course, from Kokomo that uh, will draw a crowd. So. You know, just a lot of good opportunity to see those guys play, and and that class, uh, that sophomore class, you know, really good class, and the the junior class, we're starting to see those guys uh, really come on too. Jack Benner from uh, Brownstown's another one going to Purdue, so uh, that should be a really fun game and a kind of a neat event, I think, to get more uh, people in the building on that Saturday before the Kentucky game. Yeah, you mentioned Kokomo. Most of Kokomo is going to be down here coming up on Saturday night as they take on Ben Davis. Is, is Badunga have a front runner, collegiately speaking? I, you know, there's there's people who say Cincinnati. Uh, I know there's connection there. The the coaching staff and and they were actually. I went to the Marion game uh, earlier this season, and uh, you know, man, that place was. Again, that I mean, they're they're uh, gaga over uh, that team and Flory Flory, but the man. Uh, yeah, Cincinnati was there. I don't sense necessarily that uh, that's a, you know, for sure type of thing. I, I think Indiana, I think Purdue, I think, you know, he's got offers from all the schools now that basically wherever he wants to go, uh, for the most, you know, not, not everybody, but uh, so many schools. And I'll be curious to see what coaches are there. Uh, when I was there, Tom Izzo from Michigan State was, was in the building. So, you know, that was earlier this season. But yeah, I, know, bet they'll, I bet they'll all be there. I bet it'll yeah, be a who's who. I, I agree. Uh, I actually talked to somebody last night uh, who was who's telling me a little bit. You know, didn't say who exactly, but said, "Man, we're getting a lot of requests from coaches who uh, want to make sure they are they have a good spot, you know, or have a spot uh, to sit." And I'm sure they will. But uh, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of coaches there. And I wondered about that if if Kokomo made it, you know, what that scene will be like uh, Saturday night, not only from the from the uh, fan standpoint, but the you know the college coaches who will be there. I don't know if we've seen that. Uh, Deshaun Thomas, I think, was you know maybe the last one who was maybe uncommitted. He was as a junior, and uh, I'm trying if that's been shoot ten you know, more than ten years ago. But you know there are occasionally you'll have that type of deal. But I don't know if we've seen that from a from a kid who's a junior who's uncommitted and is ranked uh, number two or three in the country. It's been a while uh, at least. For that so that that'll be another fun added element to uh what should be a fantastic game I, I can't wait for that game just just to see what happens with those two teams yeah the cincinnati angle will be a little bit weird but uh yeah when there when there are connections there that certainly can happen kyle nedrip is with us before i let you go I, I, nothing against valpo whatsoever they're in the mo valley i love the mo valley you know i kind of wonder valpo and what about indiana state i don't know the whole recruiting angle there but has dowdy Raise the bar on the possibilities you think he would have had or chances he'd have been able to play at a higher level than the Mo Valley than than Valpo with the season he's had. I think so. I mean, personally, I mean, I, I'm probably biased. I cover him a lot, so I, I just know uh, I know how far he's come as a player. I mean, he was he was. If you go back and watch, uh, and he showed me, <laughs> he's a very humble, you know, funny uh, kid. I he love Zane and. And a lot of the guys on that team are just great to talk to. But, you know, Zane in particular, he, he has just come so far. You know, he was a seventh-grade uh, B-team player, barely, you know, even made that. He could barely dribble, couldn't hardly do anything. Uh, you know, and, that, and that's, you know, that's sometimes the case with a big kid who's in middle school. But, 
you know, to see where he is now, I mean, he's just, he doesn't have really, you know, it's not like he's standing out there shooting threes. They don't ask him to do that. But, you know, as a, as a rim protector, a guy who can block shots, a guy who just does what he's told to do. And, and I will say too, a guy who really likes uh, challenges, you know, he loves playing the, the guys like uh, Flory Badunga and, and Xavier Booker, uh, some of his best games are against those players. You know, I was talking to Don Carlisle yesterday, and he was saying sometimes the games Zane doesn't play well are the games where they don't have a big guy, and he he kind of you know isn't ready for that challenge. But you know, man, when it's go time and it's a big game, you know, he has been at his best. You know, and I I do think you know again I, maybe Valpo is the perfect fit. I don't know. Uh, credit to them for jumping on him. And uh, and getting him on board, uh, but yeah, I, I think he is a kid who could who could go to a higher level. Just you know, because I know how hard he's worked at it and how much better he's gotten uh, over these last three years. I mean, you don't you don't just roll out and become the all time leading rebounder at Ben Davis by accident. I mean, that that that's a great program over the years. So you know, he's done a fantastic job. You know, a lot of those guys, Sheridan Sharp's another one at point guard who's going to Nickel State. Uh, you know, I think he's he's going to be phenomenal uh, at the next level. He, people don't talk about him enough, I don't think, for for some of these awards and stuff. But you know, they just have a team that they and credit Don Carl to me. You know, yeah, as talented as they are, I mean, it's it's uh, a credit to him to get all all these guys on board to play the way they do. They just play so hard. You know, they play so hard. They play so together. Uh, it's pretty rare. You know, you don't see that happen all the time. So something special about that team. Uh, Class A, Southwood, Lutheran, that's at 10.30 a.m. Blackhawk of Fort Wayne. And the Miners of Linton at 12.45 and 2A. 6 p.m. the evening session, Northwood and Garen, the 4A Clash, Kokomo and Ben Davis at 8.15. And Kyle Nedrip of the Star will have you covered on absolutely everything and give you a tremendous Green County angle, even if Linton is on the wrong side of the river down in Green County. Still a very good angle. Man, as always, I enjoy following you, man. Fantastic stuff, and we'll check back out again really soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. From the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings here on The Fan. Kevin Bowen joins us. Was basically everybody there from Carolina today? Gosh, it seemed that way. Did I see David Tepper's wife was there? I think everybody was there. I think they brought cheerleaders and. <laughs> All right, let's let's bring a, bring the mascot. The mascot, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they tailgated before it. I think all of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They thought it was inside the horseshoe. They thought they just had a they, they had a full section that they could take out there. Yeah, I saw the Colts only had one one rep there. Mike, yeah. uh, Mike Lacey, their their area scout. So I don't know if that is. That's the Ohio State guys, you know, we already do enough homework on them, and Chris Bauer had seen them a whole lot in person or or what, but certainly Carolina uh, looks like they'll be having a caravan move on to Tuscaloosa tomorrow and Lexington on Friday. I wonder how many of those dudes over there today that might have been hiding their sports arousals when watching Marvin Harrison Jr. catch passes out there being draft ineligible as of yet. 
Yeah, I know. It is pretty crazy. And I felt this way about, um, you know, C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young. It feels weird to say it. And I don't act like Bryce Young was playing as a bunch of you and me's out there this past year. But, like, undoubtedly C.J. Stroud had the better offensive talent around him, you know, regardless of position, really, offensive line, receiver. Um, you know, Alabama is not going to have – you know, a big run on the wide receivers in round one like they typically have, or even offensive linemen. So, um, yeah, uh, throwing to Marvin Harrison, you know, uh, with no one covering is probably a pretty good thing. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, you, you talk about a hot commodity this time next year. Uh, that will be it <laughs> without question. So how do you think this is going to go? And I just asked Bob Kravitz this. I, I say stick and stay because I think, to me, they already have an idea on who they want. They already have an idea that who they want is going to be there. So roll with it. Whereas I view this whole Lamar Jackson temptation as something like me. Like, I would look really good in a DeLorean and the goal wing action and opening up the door and looking awesome. I'd look great in that. But after paying how much it cost, I would be hesitant to wonder how far down the road, how far down the highway it's going to go before it breaks down. Is that a good analogy? Yeah, you sounded like Jake there. Um, oh, I, that was good. That I was, didn't mean to. <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, I mean, the, you know he called me at midnight last night. Gosh, I, why? He called me, well, because he knew I'd be up. I think we're probably the only ones up. <laughs> but I was more surprised, well... I guess I had to get up at 5.30. I probably got up before he did. So, but yeah, he called me at midnight last night, and we were we were talking about a couple of different things. It was pretty funny. But yeah, called me at midnight last night. Debrief on the World Baseball Classic. <laughs> well, and, you know, I hear we're both. Last time that the U.S. won it, you know, here was the president, and here was the uh, you know, number one song on the Billboard chart. <laughs> I talk about all, all the time with him about this, this crank of a cat that, that Laney has that I end up, you know, I'm the one that probably dislikes him the most, and he likes me the most. I don't know how that works out. So we were we were talking about the cat. So, right, yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, I did get the uh, the uh, update on the whole cat. Situation. Yeah, yeah. I, luckily, I got it at about six forty-five versus versus midnight for you. <laughs> it's all good though, because I'm up and ready to go, man. So I was up and ready to go, but I just thought it was kind of funny because he's the one that had to get up. I, I guess I did too, but I didn't have to go in and work right away. Yeah, it's funny, and then he's complaining about the lack of sleep that he gets, you know, about 7.25 this morning. Um, but, yeah, on the Jackson front, it just yeah, – I, I do, in all seriousness, think that that is a really accurate analogy that you say because, you know, him at the age of 26, we've seen it each of the last two years. I mean, you think about it last year, it was that knee sprain he suffered in December. And this is the final six games, and this is their playoff game. You go back the year before, another December injury. I think it was an ankle sprain then, missed the final four games. And I think those are important uh, types of injuries and important times of the year that he's suffering those injuries. I mean, we're talking lower body for a guy that his game is really predicated on that. And we're talking, you know, the wear and tear of the season um, that he gets to that final quarter of the year and he's just not able to – um, finish the season, let alone, you know, play it, whatever, 85%, and you could kind of see, okay, how can he manage that? So that would be the concern for me. It's you're handing out a whole lot of money to a guy that, you know, plays the game in an incredibly exciting and entertaining and dynamic style, but I just don't think it's got a whole lot of staying power 
um, at that level, at that peak MVP type level, which is the money that he wants. Uh, if you were you know, talking about going into his 30s. And I think it's also worth pointing out, John, it's not just the money. I mean, to get him, you're giving up two first-round picks. And we know that Chris Ballard is very prudent, you call it stubborn in free agency. So if you're going to limit his cap space even more, uh, you're not doing much, if anything, during the month of March. And then you get in the draft, and for a couple of years, you're not going to have the luxury of a really important pick when, let's be honest, there's still some other needs on this football team that are there. Plus, if for some reason things go, you know, really bad with Lamar Jackson or maybe there is more injuries, you aren't in a position to really, like, pivot. And, um, you know, that's something I think Chicago did a nice job of in, in getting the draft picks back from Carolina in 2024 and 2025. If things do go poorly with Justin Fields, they're in a position to potentially do something about that. So, uh, for those reasons, I, I would probably sit things out with Lamar. Kevin Bowen is with us. And while I'm not certainly somebody that feels they need to go down that path, the most common answer I get from people that view me inaccurate and believe that they should go down that path with Lamar Jackson is Colts fans feel like they're owed a little something and for that I don't blame them because for so many years they've been told how great things are going to be and multi-Lombardis and you know even taking the all chips in thing in 19 different directions as far as how you define it as a Colts fan still it holds true they believe that the Colts owe them to go after the best and try to win right now do you think the Colts owe them that um, it, it's an interesting point. I, I haven't thought of it in, in that light. Um, I do think what the Colts owe their fan base is trying to get the bat off their shoulders at the quarterback position. And for the last decade now, they have not drafted a quarterback in round one, two, or three. I obviously understand the first you know, half of that decade, why they didn't with Andrew Luck. But, you know, ever since his retirement, they have not tried to swing. And if you look at this conference in particular, um, you know, all seven AFC quarterbacks last year were drafted by the teams that they played on. And I think six of the seven were drafted in the top half of round one. So um, to me, they've done a disservice in not trying to give their franchise the best opportunity to win long term. Because in my opinion, if you want that, and Jim Mercer has made it very clear before, you know, multiple Lombardi trophies, et cetera, et cetera. I, I actually don't laugh when Ursay says that because I think the fan base should want that as a goal. It doesn't seem laughable right now when you haven't won a division in eight years, certainly. But I think that's a goal that, you know, a fan base should want their owner to strive for. But again, the best, albeit a difficult path, but the best way to try and achieve that is by drafting a, a QB. I would say like on the lines of this question, John, where I've thought of it is more from a Pacers point of view. What the Pacers have been able to do in the last 12 months is inject hope into their franchise. And the Pacers, by all, I mean, they're going to finish the season with what, 35 wins, something like that. And that's one of the worst marks that franchise has seen in a dozen years. But yet, you can make the argument that this is the best Pacers fans have felt about their franchise in you know at least a handful of years. 
considering the direction and the hope that you've created with Tyrese Halliburton, with Benedict Matherin, with kind of changing this core of, you know, three first-round picks coming up um, and, and a lot of cap space as well. And so I am just wondering, does Jim Mersey think like, hey, I need to give our fan base some hope? And, you know, hope would fall with a quarterback selection um, at number four. You can debate the levels of hope on who that quarterback would be. But I am a little bit wondering that point of it. Like, does Ursay say enough is enough? We have to take a quarterback, not because it's necessarily the best path, which I think it is, but we also need to give our fan base a belief that something on the horizon could be there. Well, it's not like the fans of the Pacers didn't know it, but Rick Carlisle came on with me in October and basically was trying to get in front of it and was going to cushion the blow and mention you're probably going to see a lot of losing this year. Be patient because we're going to build something here. And to your point, you can see what they're doing here, you know, slowly evolving to a much better situation. Is that something the Colts should address? And should the Colts be out front? Or because we already know what they're doing, what they're doing with the draft is, you know, what they did with Stephon Gilmore, is that dictation enough for us to already understand? Or should they be out front? And they, they, they've sensed the whole luck saga. They've tried to be and wanted to be so transparent. I think that would be the ultimate transparency here, should they do that. Yeah, I would appreciate some transparency. It's not the end-all, be-all for for me, but, you know, when Jim Mercedes at the owners' meetings next week and, you know, a few of our colleagues will be out there for those, I am very interested to see what he has to say on that end. Um, you know, to be fair to the Colts, I think it's much easier in the NBA to kind of be public about that. And the Pacers, you know, were, and, and I think are, I mean, they, they still don't have an abundance of, people coming to their games when you compare them to the rest of the NBA. So I think from an attendance standpoint, when you have the Bally sports issue that they've had as well, I, I, I think they, they, they kind of had to be really upfront about it. Whereas the NFL with only eight home games, attractive visiting opponents coming into your building, you don't necessarily have that issue from an attendance standpoint or from a TV standpoint, of course, either. So I, I, I do think it is a little bit different. Um, on that end, but I am very curious to see, again, just what Ursay says, because, John, you know this full well, in, in his ownership, which, you know what, he took over for his father in 97, 98, like, outside of right then and right there, that first year of Manning, they've never walked into a season with the type of expectations that they will walk into next year with. Um because there was always that hope that, you know, either, oh, luck will be healthy or Manning will be healthy when you did have those those down seasons. Or in, in Luck's case, of course, you know, you were winning 11 games that first year. You, you're going to have, Vegas will have you as one of the lower, you know, win-loss over-unders of any team in the league. So, um, again, I don't think it's like uh, it'd be nice to be up front and to be honest and, you know, credit to the Pacers for doing that. But, you know, I, I don't know if I'm like – going to hold the Colts' feet to the fire and be like, you must be, you know, with your words, telling us what what your plan is, just because I do think NFL shelf life is a little bit different than it is in the NBA. Because everybody is conditioned to understand in the NFL, because we've seen it here. 
it was a different situation with Andrew Luck in year number one, but you can have a quick turnaround, a much quicker turnaround of the NFL than is reasonable to ever suggest in the NBA. Right, and especially in the market that the Pacers are in and the total kind of stripped out that that they did, you knew it was going to take multiple pieces, multiple drafts um, for that to to happen. But I I do think it is a reminder to to the Colts that, like, wins and losses, eventually it's the end-all, be-all. But if you're showing positive signs for the future – your fan base can rally around that. I mean, when I you know, talk to people in public, I mean, they are so excited about the direction and the future that the Pacers have, even though they are going to win, you know, 30-some games this season and, you know, in all likelihood miss the playoffs by several games, um, which I, I think has got to be eye-opening to, to, to some level of, you know, for the most part, like Chicago Bears fans could live with the record they had this year because they felt like Justin Fields was making some some strides. And, again, it, it can't be that way, you know, annually, and it can't be as long in the NFL as it maybe is in the NBA. Like, Chicago's got to see some results this year from a win-loss standpoint. Um, but I do think that is something that if you have a poor season this coming year, but, you know, Anthony Richardson or Will Levis or whoever is playing and showing you some, you know, positivity – then I do think the fan base is certainly smart enough to realize that and understand what the plan is moving forward. Hey, I tell you, at the end of the day, I'm just glad that they addressed a wide receiver with Isaiah McKenzie. That's that's cool. You addressed that. Uh, that needed to be done. You surprised at all that there was no interest, I guess, in McCall Hardman? Maybe there was. We didn't know about. But, you know, somebody that obviously is a, a speedy dude, and I know McKenzie can get up and down too, you think that came down to availability and you know injury situations that maybe Hardman has gone through in the recent history that that McKenzie hasn't anything there? Yeah, I, I'm sure that could have been part of it. I also think you know it is a two way street. I mean, a guy like Hardman, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, uh, you know, who's throwing me the ball? I do think that is something that you would have to think about. Um, but I also feel like in the McKenzie case, I like it. I think he, you know, gives kind of an injection of speed and that versatile playmaker and kind of some of those gadget-type plays and can impact the punt return game a little bit. I still don't look at him and think that's Paris Campbell's replacement. You know, if you look at last season, I mean, Campbell consistently uh, played a whole lot for you, whereas Isaiah McKenzie has had a lot of inconsistencies in his, you know, career, more from a ball security standpoint. I mean, if you look at it, he really has been near the top of the NFL in the last two years and drops from a wideout standpoint. Um, so I think that is why I look at this role and think, okay, that is a unique piece to give Shane Steichen, give a young quarterback, a guy that doesn't need a whole lot of touches in a game to really impact it. But again, provides the speed element that's different than really anybody else on your roster and can help you out in, I think, an area that's really been void for the Colts for several seasons. Like, I, I don't even think Campbell showed you maybe enough of kind of that just pure quickness to, uh, you know, really create a lot of separation and, and, and you know, and picturing like a third and five route where, boom, you know, put your foot in the ground and, and now all of a sudden you, you are open just based off kind of lateral quickness, things like that. Um, but given McKenzie's career 
and the fact that he has had some reliability issues, again, from a drop standpoint, you got to go early in his career to see the fumbles. He definitely had the fumbles early on. Uh, that's why I look at it and say, I like taking a chance on it, but put him in kind of in that small, like, you know, okay, these are the Isaiah McKenzie plays for this week. We He can line up over here, line up over there. I still want to see wide out explored, um, either in free agency or, again, somewhat early in the draft. No, I agree with that, too. And and, and I'm hoping that's the case. I'm just glad they they ultimately addressed it. I do want to get back to what you said about Karis, uh, Paris Campbell. And I thought about this. You know, he was finally healthy, and I don't think he had much of an opportunity to show very much. Know what I mean? This is probably a good break for him, to be honest with you. Um, or let, I think you can look at it that way because he's finally healthy for the entirety of a season, and it's an absolute circus, and the quarterback situation's foobar. So I, I still I'm going to be interested to see what he looks like outside of here if he is consistently healthy. Yeah, and you know he has a connection to the Giants and Mike Groh, the wide receivers coach, was here in Indy. I think for maybe just one season. It was yeah. Um, so that's that's a little bit of a connection there. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, John, just look at his numbers. I mean, he was, what, 60 catches this past year for 600-some yards with awful quarterback play, you know? So if you just have competent quarterback play, is that, you know, 75 for 800, you know, something like that, maybe a few more touchdowns out of it. So um, I, it, it was odd to me to see the contract length and money and think, boy, the Colts certainly could have offered that. And also kind of look at the Colts and I mean, you, you, you wrote out this Paris Campbell experiment. It was like, all right, we're going to see it through. We're going to, we're going to go to the end of this rookie contract. He plays 17 games last season. He produces. And then the contract he takes in free agency is super reasonable. And yet you decide to let him walk in what is a weak free agency market for the wide receiver group. And, you know, I, I feel this way about free agency year in and year out. Like, to me, it, it, it's not the place where you just you, – you put out all your fires and they are, boom, the house is spotless and everything is back to normal. But it can control some things. It, it can kind of tame situations to where you get in the draft and you're not forcing positions where, you know, you saw in the Napoleon era, you were able to, okay, we can pick best player available and you don't feel like, man, we've got to take a corner or we've got to take an offensive lineman. Whereas if you look at it right now – you know, if you assume quarterback goes in round one, I mean, in round two, round three, round four, you have one pick in each of those rounds. To me, I look at it on paper and think it's got to be corner, wide out, and offensive line in some order. And I probably would say the order that I just mentioned it in, even though I think wide out is still a big need. And you can make the argument the offensive line needs more and do expect a rookie offensive lineman to come in and help you out from day one, uh, especially in, in those rounds, is probably foolish. So, uh, that's where I kind of view letting Campbell walk or just the free agency approach in general and think it, it's just not used enough early on to realize, all right, is this an opportunity to patch some things up for the time being, support your rookie quarterback, and allow you to go into the draft and not feel like you're constricted in how you can operate? You and Maddie shop at Kroger? Yeah, I've got a Kroger card. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You um when when I, I I shop at Kroger, and I always go for the Wow stickers. 
And in hey, in terms hey, of how I, I shop at Kroger, that's week, yeah. that's what Chris Ballard does in free agency. He shops in free agency like I do at Kroger. I look for the oh wow sticker. He looks for the oh wow sticker. Look how cheap this is. Look how great of a price tag you're getting out of this. Now, you know, if I go to the meat section there and it's supposed to be like red and it's turning kind of gray, I probably won't roll with the oh the the wow one but he he shops i i shop at kroger like he shops in free agency true story that's um yeah that's that's accurate i i would say um i saw someone make the analogy to free agency of like it offers you the ability to take some advil for a headache and i i feel like Ballard looks at and says nope i'd rather just fight the headache and not take anything for it Again, it's not necessarily going to cure all for you, but it is, you know, offer an opportunity to kind of, all right, let's calm the waters a little bit and make sure that we can maneuver the rest of the offseason um, how we please to. Um, and I am curious this, too. I, I think it's a huge Ballard approach, but I just get the vibe from the owner as well, John, that he is totally good with it. And. No, no, he, there's no doubt. No doubt he's good with it. He's comfortable, yeah. too, because he knows he knows he's got, counting this year, three years. He's got three years. He's got that cushion. Unless something goes just absolutely beyond haywire. he got three years. The other thing on Campbell that, that, that I wanted to mention, like it was a reminder when he walked, John, of that 2019 draft class, that was a pretty bad draft. <laughs> yeah. Really bad. Yeah, I wouldn't be highlighting mm-hmm. that in film study anytime soon. I mean, you got 10 draft picks, and the only one left is EJ Speed. That's it. Um, you know, you had four picks in rounds two and three, and they're all gone, and Rocky Yassine and Bobby O'Karake and Paris Campbell and Ben Banigou. And you think about that draft, Campbell-specific. You know, Campbell was taken in, in round two, and you look at the wideouts that went in round two and round three that year, it's Evo Samuel and A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf and Terry McLaurin and Deontay Johnson. I mean, it's a – unbelievable wide receiver draft class in rounds two and three. And in those two rounds, you drafted a wideout and you drafted three other guys and none of them are still on your football team four years later. Um, I get like Kari Willis retiring. The fourth round pick is a little bit different. That's kind of out of your control. But when you choose to operate in free agency with Kroger wow stickers, (laughs) better make sure that you hit on drafts at a higher rate than than other teams. And 2018 was an incredible draft, but the two sandwiched around that, 2017 and 2019, not a lot of hits. Yeah, if he's having a NFL free agency BYOB type of party, he's bringing the generic beer, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a keg of O'Doul's. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's not even beer. But I will say this. It's like you used to go back when, when Kroger used to have um, their uh, cost cutters. It was Kroger cost cutters. That's what it was called. They no longer use that. But there is, and you can look this up. You can Google it. There was, they had a generic cost cutter beer. Like this said, it just said beer or light beer on it in a yellow can. <laughs> that's, that's what Chris would bring to NFL BYOB free agency right there. A generic beer. Uh, uh, I'm picturing like him showing up, and and for and for some reason I've got like Homer Simpson duff beer. That's what I'm. <laughs> well, that's what I'm picturing right now. I just um, yeah, that's me though. I go to Kroger and I'm looking for the the Wow sticker all the time. I love the Wow sticker. 
Oh, I go, I mean, I go into Kroger. I got, okay, I got four items on my mind and I walk out of there with, you know, 17 items in my mind or 17 items in my car because the wow stickers have just taken a hold of me. Would you guys, you and Maddie, pay four sixty nine for a bag of Fritos barbecue chips? Because that's what we're paying right now. What the hell? Gosh, so on the chip aisle, I I, I really try and get like you know buy one get one fifty percent off. Yeah, the prices are just so outrageous. Yeah, I've been eating um, I've been eating the Quaker, the rice cake things like the cheddar, and they have dill and they have ranch. I've been eating those. Because supposedly it's supposed to be not as not as fattening, which who the hell can tell with me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I am a I am a diehard nacho cheese and or Cool Ranch Dorito through and through. By the way, uh, this dude named House says, in defense, I have never seen him in my Westfield Kroger, but you make a great point. So is the. You don't go to the Westfield Kroger, right? House is a good listener, too, by the way. Which Kroger do you oh, I, you shop? I assume he's talking about Ballard, right? Oh, Ballard I'm sorry, Chris Ballard. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now I see. Yeah, I missed the in-defense of CB, yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's, to, that's, a great, that's a great Kroger in Westfield, though, right across from Joe's Grill there. That's a great Kroger, one of the all-timers. I where that is. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, I go to the one... Um, I go to the one over by IUPUI sometimes after um, after work right there uh, right there off Michigan or the uh, uh, what sixty second and Keystone sixty uh, more like sixty fifth and Keystone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one at IUPUI. Mm-hmm. Where do you park for that? Oh, you you just park in the garage. It's uh, I think it's access. I want to say it, it's really nice and really easy. I mean, I was very intimidated by it. Right. The first time I went there, I was like, God, this is going to be such a hassle. But no, it's it's easy in and out. Gates are always up. Um, yeah, right there off Michigan. Nice Kroger. No idea. I go 135 and I want to say 135 and Smoky Row Kroger in, uh, in in between Greenwood and Bargersville is where I go. That's mine. Spacious. I mean, a Wait huge a you got huge a, parking lot. You got a Smoky Row down there? I grew up uh, 136, which is Smoky yeah, Row. Yeah, I think there are a couple of different Smoky Rows. I think there are. So that's one right there. But no, great, great Kroger. Yeah, and he mentioned, House does mention Ballard, 161 in Spring Mill. That is a great Kroger. Great one right there. Oh, yeah. Well, that's right by the Quack Daddy Donuts up there. Oh, well. shout yeah. out to Quack Daddy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Andy's going to be excited yeah, about that. Shout out to Quack Daddy and obviously Joe's Grill. With uh, Nally and Miller and the gang up there. I'm up there often. So, yeah. Just can't remember what the yeah. hell the street names are. So, two hillbilly. Hey, well, before you know it, we're going to be up there in a few months for uh, for the old training camp. All right, buddy. I appreciate you. You and Jake. I had two analogies, Jake Query style, for you guys to share amongst yeah. yourselves tomorrow morning just for you. Big midnight phone calls. Talk about cats will certainly lead to that. I love it. I love it. I said, at least you're not interrupting Skinamax since that no longer exists. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Yeah, the old midnight call is a bit bit dangerous. Love it. All right, brother. I appreciate you. I'll see you soon. All right, see you, John.